All right. Most were the McAllisters, and uh, we've been asked to kind of share a little bit. So I'm going to give it to my wife, Stephanie, and, uh, and then she's going to share a little family tradition that we got going. By the way, this is Jaden, Riley, and Isaac, and I'm Scott. Okay, so we're uh, never on a mic. Um, we wanted to share a family tradition and try and tie it to the candle of joy that we are going to light today. Something we've done since Isaac was two, we said, okay, the first Christmas, the wise men brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh to the coming king came to this earth. But what do we have to give him now? And so since he has given us everything and everything already belongs to him, um, we get the joy of being able to place our burdens back on him because he told us to. He says he cares for us. Give me your worries. Give me your cares. Give me your praise and your glory. Um, you know, we give it back to him. So um, we do 12 days of Christmas where we write either prayers of Thanksgiving or um, something we're struggling with. We say, Jesus, this is for you and return his joy is our strength. So I guess that's it. I could just keep rambling, but I think you get the idea. And then I'll share one more tradition that we have as well uh, on top of that. Um, in different various ways, we've also um, wanted to love on people in this season and find, I know all of us, like as a church, we do the Christmas boxes. And so we just find ways to be able to love on, on people and love on kids. And so that's part of our tradition as well, is that we just really make it about loving people. And by loving people, then we love God. Um, one of the things that the Lord brings to my mind is that, um, you know, Jesus says, it's better that I go. Like, I have to go, but I'm going to send you the comforter, right? So anyone in here that has the comforter living inside of them, raise your hand, right? So we have the Holy Spirit, the comforter living inside of us. And I can't just walk up to Jesus right now and give him a hug, but I can walk up to my brother here, right? So everyone stand up and give someone a hug because you're literally being the Lord to people and you're loving the Lord by doing that. So give someone a hug and share the love of Jesus. <clears throat> so don't forget that power, you guys, during this season that we are, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. And just remember to love other people in this season because it's really, really powerful. It's really powerful. All right, so now as you guys find your seats again, we're going to light this third candle. This is the candle of joy. And so you all should be feeling pretty joyful right now. should be pretty happy you got a hug. And you basically got it from a representative of the Messiah. So there we are. There's joy says there are many things that can steal our joy in this world and many more that promise us joy but leave us empty this is because true joy can only be found through a connection to the creator god and that connection can only come through his son jesus christ this christmas we can experience his joy by making sure our heart's affection and mind's attention is on him as we celebrate his first advent even as we look forward to his second advent. This candle that represents joy is sometimes called the shepherd's candle. God comes to those who have who, God comes to those who have time and hearts to hear him. 
So he comes to simple shepherds to announce the greatest news the world has ever heard. This truth helps us turn our attention to what the baby born in a manger was sent to accomplish. What started in a stable, Jesus finished on the cross. The angels proclaimed to the shepherds. Who's got a good angel voice? All right. <laughs> got the best angel Okay, so let me say that again. <laughs> the angels proclaim to the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For to you, sorry, I haven't memorized it. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That was a great angel voice. This is not just some good news, but the good news. The angel is actually saying, I have come to proclaim that the gospel of Jesus Christ is fulfilled today. Do you have the joy of the Lord as your strength? It can be yours if you want it. Do you experience joy in your, in your journey with Jesus? He longs to give it to you. Have you learned the secret to joyful living despite your circumstances? Despite your circumstances. Jesus came that you may have life in abundance and joy in full. Go to him and his joy will come to you. He came to bring it. He died to give it. All right, let's pray. Father, you're a good God. Father, fill our hearts with thanksgiving. Fill our hearts with gratitude for despite what's going on down here, you're still on the throne. Jesus, you still sit at the right hand of the Father and you still have declared the end from the beginning. Lord, your word declares that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Somehow Paul was able to find joy and contentment, whether he had a lot or a little. Lord, I pray that your church would know the same in this hour, whether we have a lot or little, should make no difference because we are in the Messiah. You've called us to be separate from this world. You called us out of this world. Lord, remind us of what that means. Lord, I pray that we would turn off entertainment in this season. There's a lot of noise, whether it's in our car, our TVs, or our smartphones. Lord, I pray that we would turn it off long enough to hear you and fellowship with you. For you are the reason we have breath. Your first advent is incredible. Humble beginnings, born in a manger. You had the welcoming of a goat. <laughs> that's, that's what a goat gets when, they, when they're welcomed into this world, yet you're a king. So, Lord, may we understand 
that you've done the impossible for us. And it doesn't matter what's going on in our lives in this world, as long as we can behold you. So may we understand that you are our treasure. Bring us back to the very simple things of this walk in you. The most simple things that you are our first love. And in that, there is so much joy. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, sweet McAllister family. Oof, what a great morning it's already been. I just feel like I ought to just say amen and be done um, because it just really has been a sweet time. Great job, music team, and Brian leading us in prayer. And um, yeah, if you, haven't, if you haven't figured it out by now, we are in the middle of our Advent season, right? Advent is just a time of waiting. It's a time of expectation. Um, it's a time where we look back now as New Testament believers. We look back at his first coming of the Messiah and, and are reminded of all of those fulfilled promises. And that helps us look forward to his second coming and all and the rest of the fulfillment of all the promises that are left in the word of God. And, and the way we've done that here traditionally over the last seven or eight years is we focus on four different words, right? This, and we've done them in different orders. We've even changed up the words occasionally, but traditionally the four words that are focused on in Advent season, are the ones we're on this year, which, so the first week we looked at hope last week, we looked at love this week. It's joy. Next week, we'll finish up the Advent. Next week is the last Sunday of Advent and Lord willing, we'll be talking about peace, but I'll just be honest with you out of the four words, hope, love, joy, and peace. Joy is the one that is the hardest for me. It seems the most fickle. Like it seems to come and go the most. And, and, and I, I, what I realize is the, the, the fickleness is in me, not in joy. But, but part of why I think joy is the hardest thing to hold on to is because we find our joy in so many other places. It's a little bit like, like last week when we talked about love. It's like we use the word love for all kinds of things. I love Jesus and I love chocolate which I actually don't. So that's weird that I would say that, but like, but you know what I mean? Like, so, so it tends to water down the meaning of the word. And, and I think it's very similar, but far more tangible with joy. Here's what I mean by that. Like many of you young people that are in the room right now, and we are so glad that you're here because we need you to remind us of what it means to have the faith of a child. But many of you are anxiously waiting for whatever the thing is you're hoping to open under your Christmas tree. Because if I could just have this one thing, man, I would be happy for the rest of my life, right? And then by January, sometimes by the end of the day of Christmas, but certainly by January 1st, that thing is broken or forgotten and we've moved on to the next thing. And adults in the room, we're no different. It's just the toys get more expensive. Right, But if I could just have this or that, man, I would really just be full of the joy of the Lord. Maybe, maybe you're not materialistic. Maybe that isn't really your thing. Okay, but what about like, well, if, if you find your joy in checking how your 401k is doing every day, you find your joy in, um, in a relationship that is outside of a relationship with Christ, you find your joy in the Cardinals winning today, right? Which would be a Christmas miracle. But the, the problem is when those things don't go our way, when our 401k starts to fall, when the Cardinals lose again, when the, whoever it is, whatever that, that thing is that, you, that you're finding your joy in, when they fail you, you tend to be, you lose your joy. 
And we tend to project that onto our relationship with, because some of us just find great joy in a good cup of coffee, but you drive away from the, from the three mile line at the Starbucks and you realize they got their order wrong and now you've lost your joy. Well, it's because your joy was in a cup of coffee, right? But we tend to project that onto, and this is why it's like joy is fickle to me because tangibly, I tend to project that onto my faith walk with Jesus as well. The problem is, and, and Scott's prayer could not have been more perfectly aligned. I mean, it was just like the whole morning has been so far, the Holy Spirit is orchestrating all of these things like he does in our glorious mess that we have here. But, but guys, the problem is we, we think our joy is about here and now in our present circumstances. And so when things are going well, we're joyful. And when things are going poorly, they're not. But biblical joy has nothing to do. And this is where Scott's prayer was so great. Biblical joy has nothing to do with our present circumstance. Biblical joy has to do with where we've set our hope. Right? Peter, in 1 Peter, it's going to come up on the screen. In 1 Peter 1, he says this. In this you greatly rejoice. Now the root of rejoice is joy. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, his second advent, his second coming. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but you believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as your outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Do you understand that we're reading words written by a man who was, by church tradition, was crucified upside down for his faith in Christ and didn't lose his joy in it? The reason he was crucified upside down is because he knew it was coming and he didn't feel like he should die the same death as his Savior, so he asked them to flip him upside down. And, and yet he didn't, why didn't he lose his joy? Because he understood what Jesus's brother James or half-brother James said. Consider it all joy. When we were just in James a while back, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfecting result. So we've got Peter saying, man, my, our joy is found in the heavens. Our James saying, our joy is found in the heavens. And then Scott actually prayed it, but Paul in Philippians chapter 3 says this, More than that, I count all things as loss at the very view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus is Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, all my Christmas presents, all my, all my devices, all my fill-in-the-blank. I've lost it all, but I found him, and I'm found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, a righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death in order that I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. His joy was set in heaven. And that's how Paul, who was beheaded, could keep his joy while he was chained to a prison floor, right, in a dungeon, where it was really cold and wet, but he never lost his joy because his joy wasn't about where he found himself. His joy was set where he knew he was going. So before I pray and we open up the word, I want you to, this, this is the point of today's message. Joy is a choice 
and is grounded in our perspective of, our, of your present circumstances, not in the circumstances themselves. And as my brother Justin, we were talking about this after church last Sunday too, he, he said several years ago, as we were talking after on a Sunday, we have, as Christians, we have a perspective problem. And Advent is a great season to, re, to, to, to reset our lenses in our perspective and go the same God who has fulfilled all of the promises that led to his first coming, death, burial, resurrection, and glorification is the same God who will fill, fulfill every promise that is to come. So with that, let me pray and we will open up the word. So Father, I just come to you right now in the name of Jesus Christ, the name that has been exalted in this place over and over and over and over again in the last hour. Lord, I, I thank you that, that we can come to, that you invite us to the very throne of grace because of him. Therefore, because we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay down all the junk, all the encumbrances, all the weighty stuff that distracts us, and let us lay aside the sin that so entangles us, and let us, in these next few moments, and in the next few days, and in the next few weeks, and in the next year, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Who? For the joy for the joy, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sits at the right hand of the Father. So may we now, as we open up your word, which is the word in flesh, the incarnate Christ, we now hold in our hands, in your word, may we consider Jesus. And may you teach us that we would walk out of here looking more like him. To the fame and the glory of his name, we pray these things. And all God's people said, amen. So we're going to start out in John chapter 6, or John chapter 16. So you can, start, you can find that as we move along. But the question we're asking today is, what is the secret to finding joy? What is the, and, and I would add to it, actually, this morning as I was praying through it, it's already on your little connecting points on the back of your bulletin. Um, and so I, I didn't want to do anything with or the front of your bulletin, maybe. I don't know. Is it on the, it's on some part of your bulletin is the connecting points. And um, the question is, how, how do we, or what is the secret to finding joy? I would also, I would add to that, what is the secret to maintaining it? Like, how do we find and maintain joy? And, and like I've said already, rather than do a word study on joy, we're going to look at three passages today and let the word of God wash over us in different ways in the next few minutes. And we're going to see that, that what is the secret to finding joy? First, we have to see the Savior. And we're going to see that in John 16. The second thing is we have to sense his presence. And we're going to see that in Psalm 16. And then the last thing is we have to share the gospel. And we're going to see that in Luke chapter 2. So with that, let's open up to, I probably should have done that too, listen to my own advice, John 16. And let's look at our first point. The secret to finding and maintaining joy is seeing the Savior. I'm going to start in verse 16. It says, a little while, and you will no longer... So, well, let me back up a step, So, because we, we're actually jumping into a, a passage. They've had the Last Supper. 
They've left the upper room. They're on their way to the cross, right? The Garden of Gethsemane is coming next. He knows what's about to come. And he's been walking and talking to the 11 now because Judas is gone. And, and he knows his time with them is short. And they're probably starting to wonder what's about to happen next. Because they didn't realize, what they, they were still expecting him to establish some sort of an earthly reign right then. So they're a little freaked out, and, it, and so he's talking to them, and he, frankly, in this little passage, freaks them out even more, because he says, a little while, and you will no longer see me. Now, that right there for them would be like, what? Wait a minute. We were going to, you're taking over, and we're going to the temple with you, and we're going to, we're sitting with you, right? Which, which, we've been arguing about which one of us gets to sit at your right or your left hand. And he's like, we don't get to see you? And again, in a little while, you will see me. Oh, okay. Okay. Some of his disciples then said to one another, what is this thing he's telling us? A little while and we'll see him. We won't see him. And a little while later and we will see him. And because I go to the Father? Like they're, like they're just completely confused, these poor guys. But we would, we would have been too. In fact, we would have been more confused, frankly, to be honest. Verse 18. So they were saying, what is this he is saying? We don't know what, what he is talking about. And Jesus knew that they wished to question him and he said to them, are you de- deliberating together about this, that I say in a little while you will not see me, and again in a while you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. So obviously he's talking there about his death and burial, when, when everybody thinks the enemy has won. And you will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. How? I mean, if you're them, like we get, the, we get the benefit of the hindsight of looking back, but if you're them, you're going, okay, but how? How is my grief, whatever you're talking about, Jesus, how's my grief going to turn to joy? And when is that going to happen? Well, he, he alludes to it a little bit. He says, whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy, that the, of, the, of the joy of the child that has been brought into the world. Therefore, in the same way, in the same manner, he's saying, you're going to have pain, you're going to have grief now, but here's, the, here's, here's how that's going to go from grief to joy. You will see me again, and your heart will rejoice, and at that point, gentlemen, no one will be able to take your joy away from you. Guys, that is in the present active imperative. So what he's saying is no ever, all the time from now on, you will be able to maintain your joy because you have seen and are seeing me. And even in what we were doing about hugging each other and, and the time praying together, it's, it's a great reminder of we, how do we, because we sit there and we go, yeah, but I don't see Jesus. Well, you've been here very long. You know, we, we see him right here, right? He is, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And now we get his inspired word here. So we see him every time we open up the word, if we come to it, expecting to see him. And then we see him in each other, in the relationships among one another, as we were taught, as has already been talked about even today, um, by the by the working of the Holy Spirit. But guys, look look at what he says: your your grief will be turned to joy, right, guys? Our Lord, understand this: our Lord does not turn. He doesn't take away our grief and then just give us joy. He turns our grief into joy. 
Like, like, and I guess here, here's, the, here's the nuance to it. If we're sitting around waiting for our circumstances to change so that we will be joyful, we're missing his point in the circumstance. What he's waiting for us to do is go, I see that a, the sovereign hand of my mighty Savior has orchestrated these events, and so I'm going to choose to trust him and find joy. And when we do that, which, guys, that is a supernatural thing. When you get the call that your mom just died in a car accident, how do you find joy in that moment? When you get the call that your dad just died of COVID, how do you find joy? I, this is not like some bebopping around going, well, Jesus is in control of everything, so I'm just happy all the time. That's not what he's talking about. What he's saying is in that moment where our hearts can find the glow of the gospel is remembering that he's a good God. And he's saying, guys, you will, if, you, if you'll just, in those moments, if you will fix your eyes on me, you will see your sorrow turn and your grief turn to joy. Because you'll trust me. And, and oh, by the way, our next point, like no other time, and this is the thing, this is a huge reason why the Lord allows these events in our lives. Because like no other time, guys, we experience Christ. Yeah, we have those mountaintop experiences maybe where you had a, a retreat alone or you had that, you know, and you're like, man, I just, or you're out on the mountain hiking or you're listening to some worship music or whatever your thing is. And you're like, man, I can, I can feel the Holy Spirit in my lungs. I've shared those stories before. Well, I, I've been maybe in a dry season and, I'm, and I've got my earbuds in and I've got the music, worship music cranked up and, I'm, and I get to the top of the mountain and all of a sudden I can just feel him. And I will literally say out loud with tears, there you are, there you are, right? So we have those moments, but you know when else I have those moments? When life is really hard. When I feel like everything around me is crumbling. When I feel like people have deserted me. When I, and, and, and yet I have that moment where I turn to him and I go, oh, there you are. Right? We need those moments in our lives to refocus us. And Jesus is saying to them, hey guys, you're going to have one of those moments pretty soon. But if, you would, if you'll look to me, if you'll look at me, you will see, and in seeing me is where you're going to find your joy. Guys, if we sit around, I'll say it one more time. If we sit around and wait for our circumstances to change so that we will be joyful, we're missing the point of the circumstance he has us in, right? Fight to find joy in the circumstance and you'll find Jesus because that's where he is. That's where he is. So how do we do that? Well, I love Paul says in Romans 12, 12, um, the New Living Translation or paraphrases it this way. Here's how you do it. Rejoice in your confident hope, be patient in trouble and keep on praying. The last thing before we move on to, to, the, to the next point. Guys, do you remember the first person who, in a sense, saw Jesus for who he was? It's a trick question a little bit. What? The Good job, Jesse, the baby. John the Baptist. Do you remember what happened in that? John the Baptist, right? Like Mary, Jesus is in Mary. John the Baptist is in Elizabeth. Mary goes to see her. Mary goes to see her aunt Elizabeth. Our cousin Elizabeth goes up and walks up. And when Jesus gets Jesus, little baby Jesus in the womb, gets close to baby Baptist, John the Baptist in the womb, right? What, hap what does John the Baptist do? What does the word say John does? He leaps for 
joy. Jesus is already spreading joy, and he's not even out of the womb yet. Right? But we have to have eyes to see it. We have to, we have to be able to see through a lens that is different than what the world is telling us. And that's part of why, back to Scott's prayer, turning off our devices, turning off the, the, the news, turning off the television, turning, even, turning off the radio, and just spending the next couple of weeks even between now and Christmas soaking in him and letting him soak into you is so important for us. All right, I'll say it one more time. The quote I opened with, joy is a choice and is grounded in our perspective of your present circumstance in light of eternity. That's, that's what Peter was telling us. That's what James was telling us. That's what Paul is telling us. That's what the word of God is telling us. And we can only keep that perspective by fixing our eyes on Jesus. So what is the secret to finding joy? First, we see our Savior. Second, we sense his presence. And to, and to sense his presence, we are going to actually go to Psalm 16. So go back to the left to where we are. We're done in John 16. We're going to come back to the Gospels here in a few minutes. But John, um, Psalm 16, and we're going, to, we're going to do something a little bit different. Now, the, now, just so you don't freak out and go, oh, no, what else do I have to do? He's already made me stand up twice and move around the room. I'm not going to make you do that, even though there's nothing wrong with that. That was good. But, but we're going to pray, th- rather than me teach through this passage, we're going to pray through this passage together. And, and, and part of why I picked this passage is, and, and part of what I'm hoping to accomplish in, in the next, it'll take us five minutes or so, but in the next five minutes or so is, this has been my passage for the year 2020. I picked it at the end of December 2019. Had no idea where the world was going at that point. Right? All I knew is I wanted to practice the presence of Christ in my life. And at the end of the psalm, Psalm 1611, it says, and you will show me the path of life and in your presence is the fullness of joy and in your right hand there are pleasures forever. And I grabbed a hold of that verse and I grabbed a hold of that passage and, it, and almost every day, sometimes I rotated through some different prayers, I would pray through Psalm 16. All, probably 300 times in 2020, I have prayed through this psalm. I don't share that to say, so look, at, I'm, saying, I'm saying, guys, and every time it's been different. Like, for those of you that are going, yeah, but the word of God is just dry, or man, I, I get tired of, you know, the daily readings are always the same passages. I'm here to tell you, open up your heart to what the Holy Spirit would say to you, and, and you will see the exact same passage speak to you differently on a Sunday and a Monday. And so for me, I, I wanted to, I want to encourage you to find a passage to pray through in 2021. And we'll talk more about that at the end of this month and setting some goals spiritually for, for 2021. But, but I want to encourage you now to start praying about it. Because Psalm 23 is a great one. All right, that's a great, just, you, can, you can pray through that every day of the next year. And I promise you, you will, you will not, you won't, you won't get to the end of it. Right? The Lord is my shepherd. I'm like, sometimes I don't get, when I pray through Psalm 23, that's as far as I get sometimes. I'm like, man, the Lord's prayer is another thing that you could pray through. Our Father who art in heaven. Sometimes I never get past that. Our Father, oh, stop right there. All right, Lord. I'm, and I spend the rest of my prayer time just praying our, about him being my Father. So we're going to pray through it as a, as a model, but also because it makes the point. Guys, for us to find and maintain joy, we have to cultivate the discipline of pressing into the presence of God. We have to. 
The world, we, we, I, we talk about this all the time. The world, we're like sponges. And the world is constantly like just wringing us out. And if we don't learn to like soak in that living water, we just become that dried up sponge in the back of the sink that nobody wants to mess with because you know if you even try to use it, it's going to break in half. So we're going to pray through this passage. I'm just going to start, like I said, just pray along with me as I pray. As um, Brian was talking about the grappling hook idea. I, I'll, I sometimes will pick, start and stop at different places. So I'm just going to start and see where the Holy Spirit goes. Starting in Psalm 16, verse 1. Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my God. You are my Lord. I have no good besides you. Father, I just thank you for the truth. I thank you for the truth that you are our God. That we can come to you right now and that your living and active word can press into our hearts. Lord, I pray that it would do so to the point of, of like a cookie cutter, making us look more like Jesus. But Lord, I, I thank you that, that because of what you have done for me, for us, as your children, we claim you as ours. You claim us as yours. That's what really matters. But now, collectively together, right now in this place, we claim Yahweh as our Lord. In Jesus' name. Verse 3, as for the saints who are on the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor shall I take their names upon my lips. So Father, I pray right now, I thank you. I thank you for godly people in our lives. I thank you for the collective encouragement for my soul that this place is on a Sunday morning. Not because it's, it's just a gym except that your people are here, which now makes it a church, the bride of Christ. And just in conversations and in hugs and in just words of encouragement and speaking life and love over one another, we have good, godly people that you've placed in our lives. May we never take that for granted. In Jesus' name. The Lord is my portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. Father, I thank you for the story that you're writing in my life and in our lives. I, th I thank you that, that the chapters of the story have fallen in beautiful places. Not always easy places. Sometimes painful places for all of us. But it's because you are laying up an inheritance that has nothing to do with a 401k, has nothing to do with earthly anything, and has everything to do with treasure in heaven where moth does not destroy, where rust is not found. So Lord, help us to remember what you are storing up for us in Jesus' name. Verse 7, I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night, sometimes more than I would like it to. I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely for you have not abandoned my soul to Sheol 
nor will you allow the Holy One to undergo decay. Father, I thank you that this is why we can rejoice. Because as Jesus was the first resurrection, the first fruits of the resurrection, we will be resurrected. Lord, I I thank you for the, the, the beautiful truth that even when this physical life comes to an end, that's just the beginning of forever. Lord, what what an amazing promise. Remind us of that. Remind us of the line that goes on for eternity so that the dot just doesn't seem like such a big deal. In Jesus' name. And then the last thing, my, my, my verse for 2020 was, you will make known to me the path of life and in your presence is the fullness of joy and in your right hand. There are pleasures forever. And so, Lord, I I thank you for how that so clearly connects our ability to find joy with your presence. That in your presence is fullness of joy. It's, it's, It's why we find joy even in this gathering. Because when we gather, you are present. Your glory is manifest in this place because we are here and we are yours. And that's why our souls as sons and daughters and brothers and sisters rejoice, find joy. So Lord, I pray that you would help us. I I pray in the name of Jesus for those that are here in our midst and for those that are watching online and for those that will listen to the recording later. Lord, I want to pray in the name of Christ that you would help us cultivate the habit of your presence in our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is the secret to finding joy? First, we have to see our Savior, right? If we'll keep our eyes fixed on Him, then the things of this world will just grow strangely dim. The second thing is we have to see, sense His presence, right? We have to find times to let our souls soak in Him. And the last thing is we have to share the gospel, which is kind of a different one than what you might expect. But for that, turn back to Luke chapter 2. So we're going back to the right. Excuse me. A well-known Christmas passage. Part of it was read by the McAllisters. Um, Where is it? Luke 2. I need to get some water. Sorry. Um, So in Luke 2, and we're going to pick it up in verse 8, we're going to see that, that that what the shepherds saw and experiencing the Lord's presence led them to sharing the gospel. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Okay, so here it is, verse 8. In that same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. That actually in the Greek means terrified. Like, wet themselves, kind of terrified. Right? Because angels, as as cute as you were, our little angel voice, Stephanie McAllister, where are you? Right? Not so much. Right? Angels were amazingly powerful. Every person in the Bible that sees an angel ends up flat on his face going, I I don't know what I just saw, but it was pretty scary, right? Because it was just so much bigger. And I don't just mean size. I mean in glory 
than anything we can possibly imagine because it's a glimpse of heaven. It's a glimpse of the current heaven coming down here. I mean, there's spiritual beings that really exist and as Brian reminded us, are really doing battle on our behalf in this place right now. And our prayers that we were praying for that, that time are strengthening them to do battle on our behalf. That's what the book of Daniel tells us. So let's keep going. He says, these terrified shepherds, he says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Here's what's interesting about that. He isn't talking to them about right now. He understands why they're afraid right now. He's like, if I were you, I'd be afraid of me too. So what does he mean? Well, in the Greek, the way that's written in the, in the, <coughs> excuse me, in the perfect tense is he's saying there is no longer any need to be afraid. It's not stop being afraid right now. It's there, there is no reason for fear anymore. Well, wait a second. The world's still dark. Shepherds are still out. In the, I mean, there's still wolves. So what's going on? Well, it's, he goes on and he says, for behold, which behold means see for yourself. See for yourself. I bring good news. Guys, the word good news there is the word evangelium. It's where we get the word gospel. He is saying there's no longer any need to fear ever. Just see for yourself the, God, the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ is being completed today. Do you understand the, the power of that? Do you understand? This is, this is why the angel, one, he's so excited, and two, so he keeps, he keeps going. For today, in the city of David, there has been born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Guys, understand this. God did not send us a doctor even though Jesus healed. God did not send us a teacher, even though Jesus taught and his teaching changed the world. God sent us a savior. Why? Because that's what we need. There are a lot of teachers in the world. There are a lot of people that follow teachings from other religious leaders in the world. There are even people that go around and whether real or not, heal. There's only one that saves. And his name is Jesus Christ. And the angel, right from the start, makes that abundantly clear. He says, for today, in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you who is Messiah. What he's telling them is, he said, you know that story you've heard your whole life? Do you know, you know all the rest of this stuff that you guys have memorized and rehearsed and gone to synagogue for over and over and over again? Do you know that? That has been fulfilled in your hearing today. It's why Jesus walks into the synagogue years later, opens up to the prophecy of Isaiah, and sets, reads about himself and says, this has been fulfilled in front of you today. The angel is saying the same thing to these people, He's to these shepherds. But what's the, okay, but so what? Here's the so what. Look at what it does to them. It compels them. So if you keep going, so I'm going to keep going just because it says, so this is a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloth lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts of God saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, 
among men with whom he is pleased. We're not going to take the time today to do it right now, but your table talk, well, actually we are. I don't care. Why, why do I care? Brian, why do I care if we take the time or not? Okay, so your table talk question, it's out of the, it's out of the devotional book that we've been going through or that you have. They're, they're on the back table. If you haven't gotten one yet, take one, take several. We have lots. Give them to friends, unbelievers even. Say, hey, if you want to read a little bit about what, what Christmas is really about, here it is. So they're all on the back table. But the question for this coming week on joy is something to the effect, well, I'll just read it. It said, what did it say? It says, it's in your bulletin. On page 49 of your book, she says, what? I don't want to turn my back on the people I love. Brian might shoot something at me. Um, how do you imagine it felt to be a shepherd that first Christmas? So rather than talk at your tables, we're going to talk as a group. So we're just going to take a couple of minutes. So, so, so imagine, just imagine that moment. Angels, you're out in the dark, been doing this your whole life. You're kind of outcasts. Angel shows up and he says, I bring you the gospel. I bring you the fulfillment of the story of the Messiah coming because you're going to go find this baby wrapped in cloth, laying in a manger, and he's going to change your life. What do you think it was like to be one of those shepherds? Anyone? We know they were scared, so you can't say that. Hmm. Awesome. Brian. Awesome. I forgot to mention. So um, Stephanie said gratefulness, just the, the, from the bottom of her heart. Brian said to be included. Yeah, I, you almost can imagine, like, 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 they probably were, like, smelling each other. Like, yeah, you still stink. Like, you still smell like sheep. Like, why us? Right? Why us? Good. Any, what else? Right. Yeah. So if I just, I'll, I'll come to you as, as Jeff was talking, I, I, and I probably should have put pictures up when I was blessed to get to go to Israel a few years ago, we, we hiked it. And one of the places that we went was when we got to Bethlehem was we went out on this, like this area that was fenced off. We jumped the fence, which we did a lot of there. Um, I'm amazed none of us ever got arrested, but we jumped this and it was these catacomb areas where people had lived during the time of Christ. They were basically like there were caves where families would live in these catacombs of caves. And we're, nobody else was around, probably because of the fence. And, um, and we were able to, but, but here's what was cool about it. So we're standing in these, in these caves, looking at where like, they, they would have been living. And across the hill, like there was this little valley, and across the hill is this, was this grass. It was, this hill was covered in grass. It's where the shepherds, for, 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 for hundreds of years prior to Christ coming, would raise the sheep to then take the seven miles to Jerusalem for the Passover to sacrifice. Do you think that's just coincidence? Do you think it's just coincidence that when, when, it, act, when it says, and there was no room for him in the inn, what that really means is there was no room in the guest house because, the, because whoever was in that little cave, like that, that cave had already been filled up. Their little guest house had already been filled up. So they had to go sleep in one of the caves and give birth in one of the caves that was full of the animals to keep them safe at night. And across the way from where that is happening, like it was probably a mile by if you walked it, 
is where the very shepherds are, where this angel shows up and says, hey, I got some news. On the other side of the, on the, on the hill over there, you're going to find a baby. And he is going to change your life. John. Mm. That's cool. So I, again, just for people that are listening online, so John's basically say that that this ability, like to see the angel's message of there's no longer any need to be afraid, and here's why. God's story is being fulfilled, right? Then allows them to start this, like this is what the, the hope, love, joy, peace that we've been celebrating and continue to celebrate all these years later sort of starts on that night. And, and what I do love about it is, is the angel's telling them, and he, he doesn't just say, don't be afraid. That's easy to say. But he's like, and here's the why. Right? And, here's the, and, and, even it's, and here's the why that you know to be the truth. Like they knew the story. Right? The story wasn't written when Jesus was born. The story was written hundreds and hundreds in Isaiah and in Malachi. And I mean, like the story is written throughout this. This this whole thing is the story of Christ. And he's like, you know the story. And guess what? You get to go see it now. Like physically, go see it. Just go look. Just He's like, go see, behold. It means look. Go see for yourself if you don't believe me. Yeah, and if you couldn't, either couldn't hear what Scott was saying was just this idea of like, okay, so this happens, they ha and we're going to see how it affected them in that moment. But then they have to wait thirty years for his ministry to start. And I've often wondered like the same thing about like Mary, who we'll see here in a minute, or um, you know, Mary and Joseph, or even Elizabeth and John. Like, like what were they? You know, and and because it's easy to kind of go, hang on a minute, guys. Like you guys knew the you were on the inside of the story. What were you? Well, one, what were they gonna do? They're poor. Nobody listens to a bunch of shepherds, right? Nobody's going to listen to this little girl named Mary. But here's the other part. I, they're also just people. And just like us, they get distracted. They get discouraged. They start to question whether, man, maybe we missed something. The memory starts to... Guys, this is, this is a huge reason, complete aside, why you need to set up markers, spiritual markers in your family. Like we have stones in our backyard. Um, we, we're big journalers. If you haven't figured that out by now, all five of us have journals we keep. Um, some of them are much better at going back over their journals and seeing what the Lord, how the Lord has shown himself faithful in the past. But it's part of, but a huge part of that is because we leak, right? And, and so did Mary and the shepherds, right? So this amazing experience that they have, these amazing moments you might have with the Lord, these amazing moments you might have in his word, and, and in a, a day, a week, a month of hardship, and all of a sudden, you don't even believe anymore. 
Guys, and you're sitting here today, everyone, if you're sitting here today, my guess is you're going, that would never happen to me. I, can, I could give you lists of names of men who stood where I stand. And I would have, ne- I would have said, that, that one will never walk away. And they're gone. And I don't mean they left Cornerstone. I mean, they've denounced their faith because life got hard and they started to doubt. It can happen to all of us. And, and one of the best antidotes against it, among the other things we promote here, like being in a word and praying and, fellow, and being together every Sunday, and, is set up memory stones. Set up spiritual markers. So that in those moments, you or somebody else can look and go, hey, that God that you believed in six months ago, he's still right here. So where did you go? Right, what happened to you? Because he hasn't moved, right? Okay, so the music team is going to come up, and we're going to go into our time of response, and um, the trays will be going around here in just a minute, and the chaos will ensue. But, but look at what, sorry, look at what happens to, look at, the, look at what happens to the disciples, and this is where I get the idea of sharing the gospel, or the, what happens to the shepherds. So we're going to finish it up with verses 15 through 20. He says this, when the angel had gone, When the angels had gone from them up into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened and the Lord has made known to us. So they came came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph, that's a miracle, and the baby as he lay in the manger. And And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told to them about this child. So right away, they're sharing the evangelium. They're sharing the gospel. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were being told by the shepherds. But Mary treasured up these things in her heart, pondering them, just like a mom would, wondering, man, what, what does this mean for my child? And the, shepherd went, the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen, just as it had been told to them. Guys, they hear the gospel is being completed in their midst, and it forever changes their life. And their life is now a life of share of, of glorifying and praising God. So here's the obvious question for us, right? Is ours. If you're sitting here today and you've seen and beheld the glory of God, and if you're and guys, if you're saved, you have. You can't be saved without beholding the glory of God, then is your life one that is compelled to tell other people about that glory, to tell other people that story, the evangelium, the story of the gospel, that God is a God who pursues sinners and sent a savior. Like, is that the story of our lives? If not, why? Like, what's holding us back? Is it because we don't really believe it? Is it because we're embarrassed? Is it because we're just too busy being distracted by other things? Like, what is it? Because for these simple shepherds, they're like, man, we, and we see it in Acts, Acts chapter four, when they tell them to stop sharing the gospel, Peter's like, yeah, we can't stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. We just can't. It doesn't matter what you do to us. The problem with the church today is that we've stopped speaking about what we've seen and heard. 
And I don't mean in some big flashy way. I mean just in a conversation with someone. I mean just looking across what, what we talked about when we first started regathering. When, when, when I, in June and July, when, when like just looking across the person behind the plexiglass at the store and saying, let me be the first person today to tell you Merry Christmas and Jesus loves you. Right, why, why don't we do that? They couldn't not do it. But here's, here, here's the beauty, and, I, and I'm going to pray, and we'll go into our time of communion, our time of response. Here's the beauty of it. In doing those things, guess what happens to you? See, that's the thing. We think that, oh, man, I gotta go do, I'm supposed to go do that. And I know I, you know I'm going to make disciples, and, man, but I'm just so embarrassed about it, or I, just, I don't do well with people, or I don't. What, all those excuses the enemy whispers. But, guys, here's the thing. In sharing the story and sharing his part in your story, you're encouraged in the story. Like your soul is encouraged. That's, that's, why, that's why it's our last point. What's the secret to finding and maintaining joy? Seeing Jesus, sensing his presence, and sharing the gospel. Because when we share his story in our lives, it reminds me of his goodness to me. Like when I can look at somebody and go, can I just tell you that I that for, for the first 25 of my 52 years, I was a God-mocking atheist? Like I was where you are, but man, there's a God in heaven who I've come to know and believe loved me enough to die for me. In the, in the middle of telling that story to that person that needs to hear it, what is it reminding me of? while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. How can I not be encouraged in that? So tell the story. Like this is, if, if not you, who? And if not now, Christmas, when? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the truth and the beauty of the gospel, the evangelium. I thank you that that you are such a great storyteller because you are such a great God. You are a pursuing God. It's a story of rescuing and redeeming love. And it started in a garden when we rebelled against you. And instead of keeping us at arm's length, you stepped in and pursued Adam and Eve. And you're still doing that. You pursued the shepherds. You pursued Mary and Joseph. You pursued Peter and Paul. And you're still pursuing people today. Why? It's for what Jeff prayed during our call. It's it's because we are saved on purpose for a purpose. Otherwise, you would have just already brought us home. But we're here today. We're here in this place, in this time, in this country, on purpose, for a purpose. And maybe like no time in our nation's history is there a desperate need to just tell people there's a God in heaven who is sovereign and on his throne who doesn't need us, but chooses 
to love us and give us all things through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. Open our eyes to the beauty of the gospel. Let us never tire of it. In Jesus' name, amen.